Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you will find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Education and healthcare are two crucial sectors in a country as vast and youthful as ours. The edtech sector, which is a subset of the education industry, has emerged as an incredibly appealing segment, experiencing exponential growth, particularly during the pandemic when in-person classes became impractical. However, it is important to note that the edtech sector is currently marked by intense competition and has encountered regulatory hurdles along the way. Just to set the context for listeners, in the last four years, the number of mergers and acquisitions in the country's edtech sector has been increasingly moving up. Data shows that the sector observed a total of eight acquisitions back in 2019. This number, this number then surged to 29 in 2022. Our today's interaction is lined up to understand the factors that are triggering this consolidation and the impact of these activities on the overall health of the ecosystem. We have today with us Anil Nagar, founder and CEO of EdTech company ADA247, and Kushal Bhatnagar, associate partner, Red Sea Strategy Consultants. We are thrilled to have them join us. Welcome. To kick things off, Anil, why don't you give us, give our listeners an overview of the edtech sector's current size, number of players, and its growth trajectory in the country? I think edtech sector is, uh, is in a very nascent stage as of now. In my opinion, it has started evolving. So we can trace the history back to, let's say, last five, six years since we started. And, and since then, many companies and many kind of models have come up in the industry. But I still believe that uh, these are early days of EdTech in India. Mm -hmm. uh, in last few years, many startups have tried many models, different kind of models catering to different segments and categories of uh, education. And uh, some are doing good, some are still, still trying to figure out their right uh, product market fit. So, uh, so in terms of number of companies, I think there are multiple companies, at least I can think of 2025 uh, decently uh, big size companies or decent size companies, uh, which I believe uh, are doing good as of now. Uh, yeah, number is, in, in terms of number of tech companies in India, number is quite big. Specifically, uh, if you want to categorize the whole tech into uh, various segments, so clearly there are uh, three uh, big segments, uh, the way I look at it. So one is uh, K-12 segment, which is uh, primarily around school uh, children and delivering education to uh, students who are going to school, where we have players like uh, Baiju's and uh, the multiple other players, for example, lead school and different kind of models. And there is test prep where, uh, where companies are uh, uh, helping students prepare for various exams. It starts from, uh, let's say, JE, NEET or CUT and goes up to UPSC, in between government test prep, gate, and all the categories. And then there is upskilling, uh, which is uh, uh, which is for the people who are in the job and they want to upgrade their skills and they want to move up the ladder. So these are probably three categories. And uh, first, as I said, Baizu's uh, lead school. Uh, these are uh, two players, two of the big players I can think of. But then, um, in test prep, there are multiple players, including Adda 247, 
an academy physics wala these will be players and then in upskilling side there are players like upgrade or emitters so these are the players right. which right kushal would you like to weigh in share your views on it given the fact you guys work with a lot of data especially on the startups side so what do you think is the current size where are we with the active players yeah yeah sure so i think uh, this is our estimates the b2c edtech market in 2022 is, is size around 2 and 1/2 to 3 billion usd now this does not include the b2b portion and the financing portion but the segments that anil just spoke about which is k12 test prep and higher education slash uh, upskilling so that's our market size estimates and if you look at the market trend it is broadly at a similar levels to where we were in 2020 given there was a huge demand that really came up during covid and then there right. was a market correction so we are broadly there but we are more stabilized and more corrected now and going ahead we should see a more steady growth uh, in terms of overall market in terms of players i think it's hard to actually comment off the total number of companies because there are so many startups that okay. are actually in the space but i think we understand that there are seven unicorns around 8 to 10 unicorns and at least around 50 companies in that growth stage phase could be more as well but a huge flurry of startups so hard to pinpoint on there are these many hundreds of thousands of companies it's difficult to say but yeah at least 50 60 sizable companies uh, in this space right so let's now try to understand the the main topic that we are here to discuss that what is triggering this consolidation what do you think are the factors what have you observed from your understanding of the situation why is it happening is it primarily because of the funding winters what is it yeah i think it's a it's a combination of things uh, this is our understanding if if you go back a couple of years and see how the market really boomed during the pandemic i think what happened was that with school shutting down and the colleges and classes shutting down a lot of people actually came online to study and this really boomed up the market with new startups also entering the space now when the pandemic receded back and things went back to normal a lot of people went back to offline schools and offline colleges and when when this actually happened a lot of these small scale players they were not really able to generate the lifetime values against the consumer acquisition costs that are actually put in while some of them re- were retained some of them actually went back now as soon as this happened as soon as the market correction happened and uh, the consumers went back offline there was a funding winter as well so the cash situation of some of the small scale players at least that became a bit challenging because of the ltv cac challenges as well as the funding winter and hence they looked a bit more to divest and and get acquired and which led to a flurry of mnas that really happened in the last year all right and anil do you are your thoughts also in sync with kushal's yeah i just want to add that in some cases uh, it has been actually strategic also Uh, because as i said earlier that uh, segment is uh, still in uh, nascent stage and uh, companies are are coming up companies are in growth stage so uh, so some cases i i can say clearly that uh, it is a stage where where there is actually acquisition happening to augment or to actually uh, add value to the parent company uh, in some cases for example i will say in our case we have done two acquisitions till now so first acquisition we did in 2021 uh, which was study iq education 
Uh, Studio IQ Education is a UPSC focused company, and we under twenty four seven prior to Studio IQ Education, it was government test prep focused company, and we used to cater to almost everything in government test prep except UPSC. UPSC is apparent of uh, government test prep, but UPSC is also unique uh, in terms of building the capability and building the brand, and it takes time. So it was a very strategic thing for us in terms of either build it organically, which might have taken three, four, five years, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, acquiring and fitting into overall uh, Adda ecosystem. So as of now, uh, with Study IQ, we get to all test prep, including UPSC. One other acquisition we did very recently, which was about, uh, uh, which, is, which, which is Viksha, and uh, the Viksha is into AR, VR uh, primarily, and doing some work around metaverse and uh, uh, 3D animation. So, uh, so in our case, recently six months back, we entered into K twelve segment where we launched J Neat, uh, CUT, all these categories, and uh, and the, in these six months, we also realized that uh, for this audience uh, who is uh, studying in eleventh or twelfth and who is trying to understand the concepts of physics, chemistry, or let's say biology, so visualizations and uh, and, and these kind of models where they can also play around with the model these play a big role in terms of understanding the concepts. So keeping that in mind, we recently acquired this company. So uh, and I, what I can say is that about uh, two, three years back during COVID, uh, most of the acquisitions were uh, with a thought process around valuation or around adding revenue to the company. That is now changing and it is uh, going more strategic in my point of view. I would just like to add that I agree with Anil that yes, some of that has actually come up and at least going ahead, we believe that definitely more measured. We definitely right. saw, I think, this getting very accelerated in 2021 and 2022 and there is some correction in that speed as well, at least in 2023. And now, whatever acquisitions are actually taking up, they are more measured, they are more thought through. Right, Kushal. Anil, um, because you meant you have already acquired two companies, so and you are saying that similar to what Kushal said, that you know going forward things would be more measured. So, what kind of measures would you consider? What kind of strategies would you be deploying when you are considering another acquisition? So, in, in my in in my opinion, it's, it's very clear that uh, when you want to acquire a company. It should not be just you. Uh, you have money and uh, you want to spend that money. It should be uh, uh, in alignment with your strategic vision. So, for example, uh, as a company, you want to achieve something, or you are uh, going in certain direction. So, you want to acquire strength around that. You want to add value to it, and let's say expedite that vision uh, with these acquisitions. So, uh, so my thought process is very, very clear that. Uh, uh, whatever you do, uh, it has to be in alignment with broader vision of the company. It should not be uh, uh, just to uh, uh, add revenue or just uh, acquisition of a company which is, let's say, running independently and there is no correlation and there is no uh, value creation of coming together. For example, if, if let's say, there are two companies, uh, let's say this is one company which is acquiring second company. So this is one and this is one. If one, is, one plus one is becoming two, Oh, I think this is not a good acquisition. One plus one should become more than two, three, four, or 11 maybe. So my feeling is that it has to be completely, uh, uh, there should be value creation when you acquire a set. It should right. not be, because ultimately you have to run the company. And if uh, it is already running, and what, what's the value you are adding by acquiring that company? 
So value creation has to happen when both the companies come together. Tushal, do you have any case study that you might have evaluated some of the uh, acquisitions that have happened? How has it worked out for them? Success or, or failure case to understand this thing better? Sure, I think... Uh... I think we followed a couple of cases recently. One was, and I think Anil also mentioned a few for his own company. But generally in this space, we saw the high neurons acquisition by Physicswala. I think that was a, a, a good one, specifically looking at how Physicswala was actually able to augment the point around upscaling in their service toolkit. Physicswala typically being a test prep player uh, didn't really touch upon the higher education or upscaling or AI or those kind of areas, right? But then with I neuron acquisition, that became a service to which this follow, which we believe is working out well for them. Similarly, uh, it was an example around how Create Learning, which is already a Baidu's portfolio company, mm-hmm. went on to actually acquire Northwest Executive Education, which helped them to venture into the global higher education space. So the benefit that Northwest brought into uh, brought to the table was that they had tie-ups with some of these good B schools and renowned. Uh, global global schools in general, and they kind of has those those courses and those professors actually teaching. Uh, especially as Anil said, right, it's all about what kind of value creation is being done by that acquisition. Could be about adding more depth in the existing business, or could be about building more breadth in the existing business. Could be twofold, but yes, it should be definitely linked to some kind of value creation. Interesting. Anil, you also at the beginning mentioned about the different categories that are there in the edtech space, like such as K-12 and just test prep, right? So in terms of uh, the M&A activities in the last four years, where do you see has happened the most? What are the more, uh, you know, segments that see more M&A activity? Um, I have seen uh, more activities in K-12 segment and uh... Probably that is because of uh, the bigger player, which is Baidu's, and they had a lot of money and uh, they could uh, afford to acquire many companies. Other than that, some some action in test prep also, where uh, an academy also acquired many companies. So these two categories, I, I I will say I have seen more action in past. Okay, and um, any trend has its own sets of pros and cons what do you think are the upsides and downsides of MA activity happening in this space getting to some degree if MAs have done strategically they actually are a sign of market maturity i think if you look at any market's evolution over time you see generally a lot and when the market is really emerging right so you see a lot of smaller players entering the market with their propositions and then they eventually consolidate with, with some key players being there and having their paid in the specific places, right? So while I think it's still as an 18 stage, as Anil said, right, you see still have a lot of years ahead for it. Mm. But there's still good signs, good positive signs that at least the kind of problems that some of the players face around around cash issues or, or capital issues or profitability with these acquisitions happening and economies of scale coming into picture, ability to cross-sell and cross-sell resources, right? Some of these problems should ideally grow away. And you'll have some players actually maturing into good profitable models. That's, that's I think, is the biggest upside generally for the space. If not done strategically and if done in a haste, as, as we had already discussed before, then this could have some challenges for the company as well. For example, if there's not a solid cultural fitment issue with the company, uh, that, lead, that impacts the overall company's functioning 
could also lead to layoffs in some cases, right? So these right. kind of situations also occur. Uh, but as if done with the right mindset, the right intent, and with the right due diligence, I think they should work well for the for the sector. In the beginning, both of you had touched about how the edtech sector emerged as an incredibly appealing segment, experiencing exponential growth, particularly during the COVID time. However, in the recent times, we have seen decreased funding in the space. We have also seen layoffs. We have also seen shutdowns of startups. So where do you think are we headed? Um, I believe that... Uh... As we as we are discussing that uh, our segment is, uh, is is a bit maturing. Uh, it's still, I'm not say maturing, but it's it's coming in shape because this is this is a very new category at tech. So I think this is a good thing. Consolidation is is definitely a good thing. Correction is a good thing. Uh, valuation correction or model correction. I think this is definitely a good thing. Uh, this will uh, eventually. Uh, lead to some some really good companies to come up the curve and uh, uh, eventually with the help of even acquisitions and consolidations stronger companies are going to come uh, in coming times i believe funding uh, winter we call it funding winter but i i, I don't see uh, any such thing uh, for for any any good company in my opinion because we raised uh, we raised our last round in october only which was let's say again uh, again funding winter and even even now we we get interest from investors and i think this is not just about us this is about many other companies uh, even a uh, lot of companies uh, nowadays we see that uh, are raising funds so i think this is uh, this is this is this is a phase where models are getting corrected correction is happening i will say broader correction happening okay. and because of that uh, there has been a uh, element of caution uh, from investor side, right? Kind of wait and watch. So that the situation which is going on. But if you have that proven proven track record over the years, uh, for example, I will say uh, COVID was a uh, very high point for some of the companies, but uh, many of them could not live up to that. But if we remove that, there have been companies which have been going, which have been growing. Uh, consistently uh, pre-COVID also and post-COVID also. So those kind of companies are there which are sustainable and which are being built for long term. Those kind of companies are still attracting attention from investors and there is there is investor interest definitely. Valuation is a different part, but if we want to say there's no funding, I think that's not the case. And for good companies, funding should not be a problem. All right. Kushal, any views on this? I agree with that this is largely a correction, right? I think we all talk about layoffs in EdTech and, and they are very high. That's also because the EdTech was also the most the sector that saw the highest boot during COVID, right? So it's bound to happen that a sector or any business that sees a very high accelerated curve, then it's bound to see a downside as well. I also okay. believe and would like to just add that there's also a sentiment around uh, the China EdTech market really not being there anymore, given the government has mandated the China to be entirely not for profit, right? And which is where a lot of global investments that were, let's say, getting spread between India and China are now, in the future at least, likely to be more focused on India. Right now, the sector is niche, but for it to mature, what could be contributing factors that can come? As of now, for a company like us, we are very passionate about education and we are very passionate that 
we want to take education to every village and every uh, household and uh, that can elevate the level of society in our country and uh, that can uh, completely change future generations in india but as of now this whole thing uh, the complete effort is being done by us as a startup or maybe our investors are part of it but uh, from government side we don't see uh, many uh, initiatives or policies to support uh, education specifically because education is not just business it is much much more than that uh, for example the simplest thing i will say uh, how people think of it but the kind of taxation uh, we have uh, in case of education uh, so it's still the same for example gst is 18% and all the other things are same so government can take some initiative so early in earlier days or let's say if we want to think of schools which are let's say mostly run by government so government earlier used to think that whatever books are being sold uh, for these schools and all so there's no gst on that but when it comes to online so there is no such policy from government side and online you are providing high quality education to 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 a last mile home in bihar or let's say jharkhand but uh, uh, on the policy side and on the support side so we don't see uh, much uh, support from uh, government directly although in terms of facilitation in terms of technology in terms of the ecosystem uh, uh, government is doing lot but directly i can i think the government can do a bit more kushal any views on this yeah i think i uh, i would just like to add that there is one important trend that i think players are already embarking on which would be important as uh, as sector matures and the players you actually expand into deeper pockets is of hybrid learning right i okay. think most of these companies actually started as let's say online first players right. if you look at at least the, for the larger companies the portfolio they there some of the acquisitions have actually been of the players that are let's say offline first right so i think going ahead the future is probably a more blended learning concept at least in some segments in some courses wherein you have an online platform you also have a classroom platform that really helps you tap a much deeper and a much larger market and also if you expand the consumer ltvs which has historically been a challenge for a sector so i think blended or hybrid learning uh, and getting those online offline lines to get blurred and and providing a more complete toolkit to to learners actually and that that would be one important area for the players to really look forward to so on that note i think so we can conclude today's session thank you for joining us anil and kushal it was an insightful session and i hope uh, this gives all of us some uh, valuable takeaways